Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, if you would, and open it to the book of Genesis. Um, This is a message called Choices and Consequences from Genesis chapter 13, Choices and Consequences. Let's pray. As we look at the book of Genesis tonight, Lord, and we look at Abram and Lot and choices that they both made and the consequences of those choices, even though you are sovereign and even though you're in control of the universe, yet you have decided to give us free will. And within uh, your sovereignty, Lord, somehow there's a mystery to all of this and Maybe in some cases our free will only goes so far, but, but ultimately, Lord, we know that you've made us beings that can choose. And you often, <laughs> in fact, most times, let us live with those consequences. And they can be good and they can be bad. This is about sowing and reaping. This is about deciding who we really want to be. And it's a faith journey, Lord, and we've all fallen short of your glory. We've all made our mistakes. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that your love never fails and never gives up on us. But tonight, Lord, we want to learn the lessons from Abram and Lot. And so we lay this time at your feet tonight and pray that you would be glorified and our ears would be open to your voice and how you would speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. He and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. So Abram had journeyed, remember, to Egypt. And uh, he had gone down there because of a famine in the land. And when he was entering into Egypt with his beautiful wife, Sarai, and remember at this time she's 65, and so that gives all of us hope that it doesn't matter how old you get, you can still be beautiful. And he was afraid. He said, you're a beautiful woman and the Egyptians are gonna see you and they're going to want you to join them and they're going to think that I'm in the way. (laughs) So tell them that you are my sister, that it may go well with me. And in fact, that was the lie that they told. And in fact, we learned last time when we were in Genesis that she was his half-sister, so that was kind of a half-lie. And we tried to dig out the truth whether half-lies are better than full lies. You guys remember that? And did you convince yourself that a half-lie is okay? No, it's it's still not okay. But anyway... (laughs) Sarai agreed. She said, okay, she did it. She submitted to her husband, which is probably what's behind 1 Peter chapter 3, that some women are fearful of submission to their husbands because they wonder where he's going to take them. And we do understand that. But the husband's given an important role. He's supposed to lead the family toward Jesus Christ. That's a little bit of what Saturday is going to be about. Is your wife closer to Jesus because she's married to you? Are you a leader? Are you leading your family toward Jesus Christ 
That's the question that every man needs to ask himself. And there's always a chance to start fresh. There's always a chance to start over. And so Abram, you know, she agrees, and all of a sudden she's taken into the harem of Pharaoh. It's not good. All of a sudden his wife is taken in, and temporarily he's lost her. And I don't know how you would feel, but I'm sure Abram felt pretty bad about that. Yeah, he was able to protect his own skin, but his wife is now in the harem of the Pharaoh. This is not a good situation at all. And Abram, as he went down into Egypt, Egypt becomes a picture or a type of the world compromised with the world. He decided that he would not be a man of faith. He decided that in the time of the famine, rather than trusting in God and trusting in God's promises, he decided that he would do what everybody else did. And he went down to the Nile region, which was always seemingly prosperous, and there was always you know, uh, resources and supplies there. But he became a man of doubt, And he was a walking contradiction like a lot of us tend to be. You know, we're like the man in the Gospel of Mark who says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, it seems like one day we can be this great champion of faith, and it seems like we're walking by faith and not by sight, and the next day, you know, you can look in the mirror and wonder if you're even a Christian, or at least behaving like a Christian, And we can often be a walking contradiction. But the good news about Abram is that in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, he's held up as this tremendous man of faith. And it's not really his blunders are not talked about there. His mistakes are not talked about. And some of us tonight, you know, we're we're hard on ourselves and we tend to focus more on the mistakes that we've made, even if there are a few than on the many times that we've had victories and we've actually walked in faith. So we need to be careful that we see ourselves the way heaven sees us. You know, I'm not making an excuse when we fall short, and I'm not making an excuse for sin because Paul tells us not to do that. Even though we're saved by grace, grace is not an excuse for sin. But we also need to realize our identity in Jesus Christ is secure whether you have a bad hair day, whether you've come into this place and it wasn't the best you know, day as a Christian for you. God's love doesn't give up on you. But God does want you to change. We had a sign in the old sanctuary. It said on the outside, come just as you are. But then it said, but don't leave that way. Come just as you are. Come with your baggage. Come with your problems. Come with your struggles. It's okay. We're all in the same boat. But try not to leave that way. Try to take the truths that you hear in the word of God and make some application now for the next few days of the rest of the week. And this is what Abram was. One writer said Abram was like a, he was like us, a paradoxical mixture of self-centered reliance and trust in God. Can you see yourself in Abram? Sometimes totally self-centered, reliant on self, making decisions without even praying or thinking about God. And then other times you feel like, yeah, I'm walking in some victory. Well, you're not alone. Abram is held up as a man of great faith in the New Testament, and yet he had his Egypt experience. 
And by God's grace, he protected both of them. He protected Sarai and he protected Abram from devastating consequences. Think about it. If God had not intervened and God intervened by bringing plagues on Pharaoh's household and Pharaoh figured it out that there was something wrong, that this actually was Abram's wife. And so God intervened and God protected them both and Abram got his wife back. But that wasn't a guarantee. When we make blunders and we make decisions that lack faith, it's not just about us. It's also about our wives. It's also about our children. It's also about our witness. It's also about our rewards in heaven or lack thereof. Your choices do matter. And Abram's poor choice, his lack of faith, impacted his bride. And by God's grace, he protected her because there was a whole promise attached to Abram and Sarai, which we will you know, continue to discover as we go through the book of Genesis, and God got him out of it. And so valuable lessons, I'm sure, were learned as Abram uh, went from, up from Egypt, notice verse 1, to the Negev. The Negev is the desert region in the southern part of Israel. He and his wife, he got his wife back, verse 1, all that belonged to him, and Lot was with him. Lot was watching Uncle Abram in this situation. You know, it would be nice if all of us could heed the advice to learn from other people's mistakes. How many of you have heard this before? Please, somebody pleads with you. Please learn from my mistakes. Usually an older person. They have some sparkly grays in their hair. And they say, listen up, young whippersnapper. <laughs> Let me tell you, you don't want to do this. But it seems more times than not, the lots in our lives don't necessarily pay too much attention. And Lot was watching. There was more at stake than just Abram and Sarai. And Abram was able to go up from Egypt to the Negev. He and his wife, all that belonged to him, Lot was with him. Now Abram, look at verse 2, was very rich. The Hebrew word here is kavod. It means heavy or weighty. In the ancient world, they would, uh, you know, kind of uh, figure things out by the weight here. So he was very rich. He had very weighty possessions. He had livestock, he had silver, and he had gold. If you look back in Genesis 12, verse 10, when it's talking about the famine, it says the famine was very severe. This is the same word, kavod. It's the idea of heavy or weighty. It's sometimes the idea of God's glory. So it was a severe famine, a weighty famine, and now... Abram has weighty riches. And one writer I was reading this week said that we should keep in mind that as Abram journeys back to the promised land from Egypt back into God's promises, if you will, we should keep in mind of this weightiness. In other words, what he's saying is keep in mind what happened in Egypt, the, the famine, how he went down to Egypt, that mistake should always be in the back of our mind as as Abram journeys back into the promised land. Some of you tonight, you may have mistakes in the back of your mind. You know, sometimes there's things in our past and we know they're under the blood, but they come up from time to time. And we, we can see, you know, a jagged path. You know, we would like to see a smooth path and we can see, 
you know, some jags in that, that path. But we can also see God's grace along the path as well. And I think with this word kavod, we're to think about what happened and the poor decision that Abram made and maybe even some of our poor decisions that God has covered by his grace. How many for you? I can tell you many, many for me. Many poor decisions that God could have left me just alone. Things that I had done in my past when I wondered about a lot of big things, what would happen in my life, and God has graciously poured his love and goodness into my life. Abram's trip from Egypt back into the promised land prefigures the children of Israel leaving Egypt in the Exodus. If you want to mark down Exodus chapter 12, especially verses 30 through 36, they left Egypt with silver, with gold, with livestock. Finally, Pharaoh, after the last plague, the plague of the Passover, the death of the firstborn, said, go, get out. Take your stuff, take your livestock. And Moses had instructed the children of Israel to ask the Egyptians for silver and gold, and they got that too. And so remember, the Exodus is after the life of Abram and Isaac and Jacob. That's the book of Exodus. That's the next book. So what Abram is doing, journeying out of Egypt, where he was there and made his mistakes, and journeying back into the promised land with silver and gold and riches is the same walk that his descendants would make out of Egypt through the Exodus. And in fact, the children of Israel could say, much like our forefather left Egypt in his Exodus to the promised land, we're retracing his steps. You are not alone. Many people have walked your steps. Many people have walk the faith journey. And I think if you want to talk to some people, maybe who have some years under their belt in this congregation, they can tell you about God's goodness along the stages of life. And he, he went on his journeys, verse 3, chapter 13. Uh, the NIV says, from place to place, from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. It it tells us in Exodus 17 that the people journeyed in stages, Exodus 17, 1, from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim. There was no water for the people to drink, and therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And they traveled in stages. And Abram, when he journeyed back into the promised land, he went from place to place, looking apparently for a place to set up his tent, probably pondering God's goodness and the mistakes that he had made. And Abram is going to uh, re-engage re, uh, with the place where he had set up an altar. Look at verse 4. This is Genesis 13, 4. It says, he went to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram returned to Bethel. If you take the combination of the Hebrew words, it's bait, it's the word for house, and El, E-L. The ending E-L in Hebrew words is the name of God. So Bethel is the house, bait, of God, El. So this is where Abram went back. He's back into the promised land. 
And he goes back to a place where he had set up an altar in the beginning. Look back at Genesis 12, look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram, Genesis 12, 7, and said, to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there. This is at the Oak of Moreh in Shechem. To the Lord who had appeared to him, Genesis 12, verse 8. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar. This is that original altar to the Lord God and called upon the name of the Lord. This is what Abram has done. He's gone back after leaving the mistakes of Egypt. He's gone back to an altar where he first called on the name of the Lord, or at least called there in Bethel to the name of the Lord, to the house of God is the place. And here's the application. When you've made some mistakes, when you've bought into the world's lies, when you've gone and made some errors, when you've not operated in faith, one of the best things that you can do is go back to a place of worship. Go back to basics. Go back to the altar. The Christian life is not complicated, you guys. It's really not. The Bible tells us to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our reasonable service in view of his great mercy. We're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and then we'll be able to prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. It's not complicated. If you find that you've been wandering, if you find that you've been swimming in the consequences of poor decisions, go back to the altar. Go back to basics. Go back to church. Dive into the deep end of saying, Lord, I want to know you better. I've been wandering. I've been making poor decisions. I'm going to go back to the original altar that I made. I'm going to go back to the place when life was simply about worshiping you and letting everything else in my life flow from that. The altar that he had made formerly, that's where he went back to. His journey from Egypt to the Negev to Bethel was apparently a conscious pilgrimage, says one writer, through which he desired, he desired to recapture his previous walk with God. He wanted a fresh start. And this is where he called upon the name of the Lord, and he wanted to retrace his steps. Sometimes we think we gotta be at the coolest next thing. We gotta read the, the most, you know, the, the hottest new book to really fire up our faith. No, you don't. You just need to read the book. Just open it. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. God will speak to you every time you open his word. It's his word. He's already spoken. You just need to read it. Amen? And so here's Abram. He says, in essence, I want to recapture the time when I really had intimate fellowship with you, the time when I built altars instead of worrying about all the other nonsense, and he called upon the name of the Lord. What do you think it felt like when he went back to that altar? Maybe he, he wondered in Egypt if he'd ever get back there. He, maybe he wondered, yeah, God made a promise to me, but I've blown it now. And now he's experienced God grace, God's grace, and now he's back at that altar. What do you think the first thing out of his mouth would have been? What would yours be? 
I think mine would be 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. I think he went back to the, that altar, this is my speculation, and said something like this, Lord, I'm sorry. You've given me magnificent and beautiful promises, and I'm sorry for not trusting you. You ever been at that altar before? I've been there many times. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Lord, that I was self-reliant, that I didn't pray more about this situation. Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 says, he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Bethel is the place of new beginnings. Bethel, it's the, it's, it's the house of God. It's a place of a new start. It's a place of a do-over. And God is the God not only of second chances and third chances and 72nd chances, but he'll, every time you want to start over, every time you want to meet with God, it's a chance for a fresh start. Abram needed cleansing and he needed a new start. Do you? Do you need to go back to that place of that original altar? One writer that we were reading this week in a pastor's meeting said, in the third commandment, God warned his people not to take his name in vain. By this, he does not mean just avoiding profanity. More than that, he is saying, don't take my name upon yourself. Don't claim to be my follower if you're not going to live like one of mine. Listen to this. If you take his name on your lips as who you say you are, and if your behavior consistently betrays that confession, then it is vain or empty. Don't take his name in vain. Look at it this way. It could mean profanity, but to take his name in vain means you have his name on your lips, but it's a vain uh, confession. You take his name on your lips, but there's no substance behind it, so it is vain or empty because you save the name of God, but the life behind it is not backing it up. Are you with me? We're not talking about, we're not talking about perfection here, but we're talking about trying to get to a place of consistency, and Abram has already had his issues. Halfway obedience as he went to Haran instead of going all the way down into the promised land. Um, now he's paid the price for another faith lesson, and I'm sure his wife had to build trust in him again. Can you imagine that walk back to the promised land? You told me to do what? <laughs> got me in the, harrow, the harem of this pharaoh. We got problems. <laughs> we need to talk. I'm sure there needed to be some trust rebuilt in that relationship. But they moved forward by faith, and now the camera pans to Lot. Now Lot, verse 5, chapter 13, who went with Abram, and Lot was his nephew, also had flocks and herds and tents. Everybody blossomed in Egypt. Even with all the shenanigans that went on, things were added to them. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions, verse 6, were so great 
that they were not able to remain together. So here they are back in this area of Bethel. And now there's lots of flocks and lots of herds. And the question becomes, who's going to get the pasture land? And who's going to be first at the drinking well? And, and this creates problems. And, you know, in life, sometimes we think that if we can just win the lottery, if we can just increase our net worth, our possessions, then things will improve. In Genesis 13, we see the separation of Lot and Abram. And, you know, really in the message, we say that Lot should have deferred to his uncle. And yet he did not. He lifted up his eyes and he looked and he saw the valley of the Jordan. This is Genesis 13:10. He saw that it was well watered everywhere. And uh, this was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the Bible goes on to say he pitched his tent as far as Sodom. And it's clear from the text that uh, in chapter 13, verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. We're going to learn more about this as we get to Genesis 19. But suffice it to say that Lot let his eyes um, really decide uh, what he was going to do instead of really taking a closer look. You know, our eyes um, are something that you know, are precious to us. And uh, there's something that are such a precious gift, such a marvel of creation. Just think about the blessing of what it means to be able to see. Now, some of you out there, you may have problems with your eyesight. We may have some blind listeners right now. But when you think about the value of your eyes, it's quite incredible the gift that God has given to us through which we can see the world. Lot looked with his eyes. But you know what? Your eyes... Um, are not always the most trustworthy thing. Sometimes our eyes get intoxicated. Uh, Eve saw, you know, the fruit with her eyes. She saw that it was able to make one wise. And Jesus, you know, he also talked about the eyes. He said in Matthew 6, verse uh, 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now keep listening because he goes on to say these words. And I think this is where it's going. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now we do know that as the Bible unfolds and we get New Testament um, comments on the life of Lot, we know something about Lot that his righteous soul was vexed by the unprincipled behavior of ungodly men. You know, when he moved to the area of Sodom, um, he wasn't happy with what he saw. It, uh, it bothered him, and, and indeed, it vexed his soul. It troubled him. It pained him. And so, you know, we could say, well, by the New Testament commentary on the life of Lot, Lot wasn't really the problem. The problem was where his eyes caused him to set up his tent, and we have to be careful where we pitch our tent. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.